Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I think it was Jay-Z who said this, too, but it's like you can't be a boss in your team, bro. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. a real boss is going to elevate uh, those around them and make them put them in positions of power and not just try to be the only one flexing and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a misconception of what a boss is. So I, I would say a true boss is going to elevate those around them. And you'll know that because you'll see the people around them also happy and successful. And I think that's a real boss activity. Back in that, back in that bag again. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. Hey guys, what's up? We're back with a brand new Making the Boss. On this episode, I have an amazing conversation with real estate investment company Oasis co-founders Fahim Mohammed and Michael Amir. We talk all things investing in the Black community as well as their mission to give more Black people ownership. They also give great advice for those who want to invest. Listen here. Well, thanks guys for joining and coming on my podcast. So basically my podcast is called Making the Boss and it's where I interview, you know, bosses in their respective fields. And it's more so like a financial literacy podcast, you know, for people who want to become bosses one day, but they don't exactly know like where to start, you know, the steps they need to take, et cetera. So appreciate you guys for joining to talk about, you know, all things real estate and Oasis. Definitely. It's an honor to be on. Uh, I feel like you've always supported the vision from the beginning. So we appreciate you for inviting us on and anything that we can spread um, as far as giving information to people that want to come into this industry. Um, I think it's a wide open field. Um, I think black people are coming in by the droves, but I do think there's a lot of information that uh, that needs to be given so people can come into it with proper expectations. Like, and not unrealistic expectations that you may have got off of a social media video or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, like I was telling Michael, I was like, when I saw your Revolt World, I didn't know if you was like remember me or not. <laughs> when I was like, hey, I want to get you guys on my podcast. So, yeah. Um, so first off, we could talk about like who is Fahim and who is Michael? Yeah, yeah. I would, uh, I would say, you know, um, we're just, you know, ch- childhood friends who always, you know, uh, who got into entrepreneurship, you know, at a young age. And we just always wanted to do something positive that would make a difference. And I know that's like a kind of cliche to say, but I guess the difference between Fahim and I is that we, you know, passed up a lot of opportunities to really live that, you know, to really do what we're doing, um, to... You know, we chose fields where we were in charge of our destiny, you know, which allowed us to to get into real estate. We were able to have the flexibility, Um, even Fahim, you know, running a security company. It still gives him uh, the leeway to do what we're doing, even myself. So we chose paths that would allow us to really, you know, uh, do something that could that 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 could ultimately help our, our community, our people. Um, and I would say we got into real estate because we've seen that as, as ownership. You know, if you don't like something in, in your building, you can get new tenants. You know, it's really simple. Uh, the, the idea of real estate and real estate ownership is just a simple way. Uh, so I would say that just, you know, uh, speaking for, you know, the both of us right now, it, it's just a passion to, uh, to do something for our community. But I would say, you know, childhood friends who who really grew up together and really been successfully able to do business um, going on two decades, not there yet, but we're right there approaching two decades is do- doing business together. Um, yeah. I'll let you take it from there far. Yeah. No, I think you covered it. That's, that's, I think that sums it up. You know, I think that sums it up. I think that uh, we, um, we're um, hard workers, you know, and I feel like, um, that's something that a lot of people, I think in, in today's time, kind of may not tap into, you know what I mean? Because there's so much about like getting rich quick or being financially free or like just living a life of like financial freedom, which is true. But I, I don't think, 
I think one thing I would say about Michael and myself, like it's a grind and we enjoy the grind and we talk about the grind and we like, we put in the hours, you know what I mean? To, to benefit from the grind. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, that, that's how I would like to sum up our, that's what keeps us connected. You know what I mean? It's not like me and Mike just hang out and just, we do, we like brothers, you know what I mean? But we're grinding consistently, you know? And, uh, I think that's one thing that I, I, I would put out there to people, especially like that are looking to try to um, become bosses. You know, a lot of times I feel like people look at being a boss like, you know, you're standing out there pointing the finger and everybody else is working. And that's not our style. You know what I mean? Our style has always been like we're doing the work and then people may see and appreciate the work and come join on. But the whole time we're continuing doing the work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you said you guys basically like grew up together. When did this entrepreneurial spirit kick in for you two? Did you always have it even like as a kid? Uh, Fahim always had it. Fahim, you want to talk about your entrepreneurial journey? <laughs> he's, been, he's been an entrepreneur since he was like three. Yeah. <laughs> you know, shit. I, I think in different ways we both did. You know, I think both. Well, you know. So both of our parents, my dad, his dad, they've been were friends in the sixties. You know, my mother, his mother became friends in the seventies, you know, and I think um, you know, Michael's dad was a hustler, my dad was a was a hustler, my mom is a hustler, Michael so like our parents both on both sides are like very special, unique people in their own ways. And then, you know, and then like so my mother was always into entrepreneurship, so like from young she wouldn't give us money. She would give us things to sell. So that kind of like, I came up like that. Like <laughs> we was doing the African marketplaces or like whatever, like Afrocentric things was going on in the city. We were selling incense or juice or this. So it just kind of carried over. Like by the time I got to high school, like everybody knew you're not asking mom for lunch money. You know what I'm saying? You're getting something to sell. So me and my brother, we had our own little juice thing where we would have like one backpack with books, <laughs> one backpack with juice. Everybody knew, and everybody in the school knew, though, like, yo, I got juices, and they ice cold, like, it's a dollar, you know what I'm saying? So everybody would buy them. So that was how, that was just a part of the upbringing, and that carried over. Like, when I got to college and I was playing football and all of that stuff, you know, I, I found a hustle. I've seen everybody was getting these scholarship checks and blowing them on clothes. So I started buying clothes wholesale in downtown L.A., and I would bring them back up to school and just flip them, you know what I'm saying? I was making a lot of money doing that, so... It was just always like finding ways to be creative in the environment and extract resources, you know what I mean? And uh, and me and Michael just, I, I would say, let me see, <laughs> if you know how many businesses we've done together, <laughs> yo, it's not even Please funny. Share. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. People see this and be like, oh my God, this is a culmination of like struggle, you know what I'm saying? And that's the, that's the thing. Like, I try to communicate this to my children, uh, my family. I feel like, and you know, I don't even, I can't even say like I'm saying it from a place of success, but like I've moved the needle for my family a little bit. And I think Michael has done the same. And so when people see that where you're at presently, it's like, well, how do we, bro, you got to grind shit. And it's no roadmap. I don't think one entrepreneur could, they could say different things, but it's no specific, like, this is how you do it. No, you bump your head, you learn. You continue to go. You don't give up. You keep struggling, you know, and it still now there's still struggles. There's obstacles. There's things to overcome. You And you can look at that on every level. I, I heard uh, Puff, the chairman, was talking about that at InvestFest where it's like, nah, it's just a struggle on a bigger level. Even when you got millions in your accounts, you fighting to get billions. Or if you got billions, you're fighting to create change. So it's like there's always a level of struggle and people that run from the struggle will never get the success that they really desire, you know. That was a long yeah. answer to your question, but well said. Yeah, though. Well said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. So, how did all of those businesses lead up to Oasis? <laughs> yeah, like, what was the inspiration? Everything, everything just evolved. Like Fahim said, like you know, all our businesses were rooted in making a change. That's that. That's the number one thing. Like how how can we make the biggest you know positive effect on our people? So, you know, the businesses evolved from, of course, our talents. Um, you know, uh, Fahim has a natural 
talent, for numbers, for business. Um, my passion was production. And so it just constantly grew from different companies, from tax companies to production companies to, you know, stuff that was rooted in uh, our skills. Um, and then it just evolved, evolved to something that we've kind of put everything into one because in real estate, we have to deal with a lot of numbers. We got to deal with taxes. We have a whole production side to it. Uh, we have, a, a, you know, just everything that we've done over the years is benefiting us in real estate. Um, and it grew to Oasis just by getting, just by really just at a certain point in our business development, wanting to own property and just jumping out there, buying property learning it and you know um Fahim's talent one of his talents is being numbers and uh just the whole business side of it you know really when it got to a point he's like man Mike let's consider doing this this is pretty you know this is pretty it could be very lucrative because we were just mm -hmm. doing it just to you know build wealth for our families uh, but as we looked at it we seen a bigger opportunity uh, with new laws and new things that were coming in place that can we can take advantage of and really take it to the next level. Um, and the idea of Oasis was born of really not just us doing it, but bringing others involved. Uh, once we got to a certain place in real estate, a certain level of achievement, a, a certain blueprint that worked, we said, man, this is working. We could now expedite what we're doing. Mm -hmm. and take it to the next level by allowing others to to invest and that's what other communities do you know we're so used to bootstrapping everything everything Fime and I did we never took out a bank loan we never you know we just took all our own money you know mm -hmm. when we got mm -hmm. into real estate it was like hey let's let's allow others to invest because that's what company that's what these big corporations do these big mm -hmm. funds these head funds any type of big corporation there's some type of investment um so we got to a point where we said let's get the community involved where they can invest and we can expedite what we're doing. Instead of buying one single family house, we could buy 10. Instead of buying, mm -hmm. you know, a duplex, we could buy a 30 unit apartment. Um, and that's kind of how it grew into this business of, of Oasis. Just, just the, the evolution of our ideas, of our experience, of our business. And then we was able just to combine everything. And, and here we are. Yeah, I love that because, like, I was going to ask some of the things that sets your business apart from other investment companies, but you're actually using everyday people versus people who are probably, like, already millionaires, right, to build wealth? Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons, for sure. You know, um, we, we invite everyone, you know, um, of course, millionaires. The, with our with our with our blueprint and our success rate, it's attracted to someone with money. So we have deals with people who have money, uh, but we want to give everyone everyone's hand has to be on the plow. You know, there's so much work to be done in our communities. A few millionaires can't do it. The person who's walking to work at Target has to help. I used to work at yeah. Target. That's why I use Target as an example. I used to be out <laughs> in the rain pushing carts. But um, but yeah, you know, everyone has to help. You know, everyone has to be involved. And that's what Fahim and I, that's the, the message that we're gearing up to to push. Because we, we started, but it's bubbling and we're about to really go on a major campaign. Um, for us to fix our communities, you can't just be yelling at the city council. You can't be complaining to the mayor. You have to help. You got to mm -hmm. put your dollars in, you know, and that's why we have it where it's a minimum, something that everyone can achieve. But yeah. that's what it's going to take. And then the beautiful part of it is you're also learning about investing. Because our community, uh, part of what Fahim and I do, it's a service because we don't we don't have to go to the average person. It's actually more work. It's actually a bigger headache to go to the general public uh, because there is a level of education we have to uh, yeah. know, impart on the community. Because a lot of us, even me, you know, I went to a great university. I didn't learn about investing. I learned about all type of theories and Confucius and all type of shit, but I didn't <laughs> learn about the importance of investing and how to invest. So we have to, and, uh, and that's the, the beauty of this financial revolution that's going on that, you know, that revolt is a part of that, you know, earn your leisure, all these great companies now are really pushing and it's a whole movement in financial literacy now, but, um, there's mm -hmm. still a lot of work to be done. 
and everyone has to be involved. So that is what makes us different. Um, but I, I would say, um, Fahim could touch on this a little more, uh, but our track record, you know, what we're really pushing is a genuine love for our community. We're not really, we're not, I don't even say really, we're not at all driven by money. We understand we have to make money, but I think a lot of the moves we make, a lot of the investments we make aren't your uh, average moves because we're doing it with a bigger picture of helping our community. So we're light years away from any other investment company. Um, and, and the more we work and the more we do, the more that's going to show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're black owned, too. And we're black owned. We're black owned. Even yeah. though there's a rumor going on that there's some Arabs giving us money, Fahim. There's a, there's a rumor. <laughs> what? We're back with some billionaires. <laughs> but not we're back home. <laughs> Your headquarters is in Chicago, right? Yep. So what made you start in that city specifically? Fah, you want to answer that one? Um, yeah, it was. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It was kind of a no-brainer. So we both grew up going out there. Um, so coming from L.A., you know, L.A. has a population of black people, I think, like 11% or something, like 13%. Really yeah. low. And um, going into Chicago, like I had been to the South. And I had been to the East Coast, like New York, places like that. I never really felt like what Chicago feels where you have like these 90 plus percent black communities. And then not only that, you have like a really vibrant e economic or economy and you have like a, a um, just some really beautiful architecture. Like Chicago is known for some of the most beautiful architecture in the country. So when we were getting into real estate and we was looking at it, um, that market was really attractive, especially at the time, because it was super affordable. Um, you could get houses that were like, you know, dilapidated or whatever at that time for like twenty, thirty thousand dollars. It was really I was surprised. Yeah, I was I was surprised at that. Not like that LA. You, no, no. And you know, LA we, you don't even talk about a home unless it's half a million, you know what I mean? So like yeah. when I, when we like were looking at all of that, it was just like, what? And then tie in because and it's hard it's hard for us to speak about any of the strategy without like tying in the social impact piece of it because it's so deeply rooted so like yeah. when we coupled all of those things with the fact that like at the time keep in mind what i was saying we've been going in and out of chicago our whole lives you know what i'm saying not that we never experienced some of the negative aspects of it but it's it's just like la like people talk about the culture the gang like bro, we grew up out here you know what i'm saying these is our people that are going through whatever they're going through, dealing with their situations. But at the same time, this shouldn't be like Chicago is a black eye for black people around the world. You know what I mean? I'll never forget hearing, um, I think it was Trump talking about um, the violence that was something about Russia. But he was like, how can we, or, or Ukraine or whatever he was saying, he was like, how can we talk about that when Chicago, they're shooting next month? And I'm like, wow, y'all yeah. putting, y'all propping Chicago up and really black people up. Like it's just this violent, vicious situation when it's really not that and you know what i mean and we go into like all of the neighborhoods whether it's la or chicago the worst parts and we just try to build relationships so like i think well tying in the way they were trying to represent black people in chicago with the opportunity that existed from a business perspective and then like i have to say you know we're like literally children of revolutionaries and i'm talking about me and michael you know what i mean like if you if our parents is on here, you'd be like, oh, wow, okay, I understand y'all, you know what I mean? <laughs> and they may not have reached, like, the heights, but, like, they instilled in us real real freedom, justice, like, equality, revolutionary mentality. So, like, all of the business, like, even though capitalism is the way of America, our business models aren't purely capitalistic. So, like, all of the business stuff always there's a thought in there like, man, how can we do something to help? How can we do something to benefit? And so Chicago just had every single element. Like if we wanted to start this program in LA, LA needs it, but it just like from a capital perspective, it was like, damn, how can we, what, how much change can we make? Every house is half a million and we're not yeah. sitting on M's like that. You know what I mean? And then you mm -hmm. have places like Detroit where the economy just didn't support the kind of investment that we wanted to make. So like 
you could buy up a bunch of houses in the community, but you just don't have jobs and you don't have enough of a vibrant economic situation to really make it make sense. Like even down to like the actual real estate, like your your yeah. after repair values, which they call ARVs, they just wasn't comparable. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you could put sixty thousand into a house that you bought in Chicago for fifty thousand and the house may be worth almost three hundred if you buy it right in the right area. Where you mm-hmm. couldn't do that in a lot of other markets. So it was a lo- it was a number of components that kind of combined together to make us realize this was the perfect place to start this this mission. Mm-hmm. So exactly, I want to get into like the steps of how someone can invest if they want to, but they don't even know where to start. So specifically for Oasis, like your company is about reclaiming, redeveloping, and rebuilding Black communities. Like how exactly do you go about that? Oh, you're on mute, Fahim. You're on mute. I mean, uh, my my ah, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, we are a, uh, what is called a prop tech company, you know, a company that is in okay. real estate, property management, uh, technology. So uh, we created and we're building out an app. Uh, right now it's already live. It's, it's user friendly. Um, and that's the beautiful thing of the time we're living in. You know, you can get on your phone and invest in less than five minutes. Um, but to, to, to go over the quickly how it would work, if you wanted to invest, you will go to our website, uh, oasis.build, or you'll go to the App Store. You'll search Oasis Real Estate, uh, and you'll see our app. You literally click the app and follow the steps. Um, now, since... We are an SEC qualified regulated fund. And uh, Fahim and I, you know, scamming is a big part uh, of our culture. And black people are, especially black people, they are unfortunately a lot of times victim of of scamming, you know, because Mm -hmm. of our condition and our desire to get out of our condition. um, It's easy for someone to come up to us, promise us something, and you know and and scam us and unfortunately that's that's happened plenty yeah. of times you know and it's and it's normal so fahim and i when we started this we had a real discussion about how we were going to go about it because we have to combat that you know this is something that we're going against we know we have to build trust amongst our people um so one of the things we did was one register with the security exchange commission <clears throat> that put us in a field uh outside of 90 nine you know maybe 90 percent of <laughs> black uh you know company black funds um and really just people doing real estate period it's 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 uh a lot of money it costs six figures um you have to have the right you know uh, uh background track record they do you know they check they do background checks uh you know checking your credit it's all type of stuff you have to go Everything. through that would eliminate yeah. a lot of people um so when people invest with us they are investing in a security uh, SEC regulated fund. So we do have to have know your customer and anti-money laundering checks. So each person, you may not know it, but when you sign up for Cash App, you know, when you sign up to invest in Robinhood, they do these checks on you. But it's just so quick. Technology is so awesome. You just sign up. You have no idea your background. You know, you just did a, a KYC check on uh, so ours is the same way, you know. You got to put your name. We got to make sure the money isn't laundered. You can't cash app us. So if Fahim <laughs> tells you to cash app him, that's not for the fun. That's the setup. <laughs> don't don't give Fahim your cash app. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we we do everything legit. We do it right. Um, and that's one of the things we wanted to do when we came to uh when we started this company was to was to go that route. But it's as simple as going to our app. You know, put your name, uh, basic questions to verify who you are, the amount you want to invest, and boom, just like that, you're an investor. And we have plenty of people who've invested, of course, who we never met, um, who, who see what we're doing and want to invest. It's very simple. But however, Fahim and I, we do make it a, a point to speak to our investors. So it may be, it may take months to get to someone. We want to speak to everyone. And as we do it, we're, we're making it better. You know, our customer service is getting better. Investor relations is getting better. Um, and also the educational component to the investing 
we're going to implement that because we want everyone who invests to to have a certain knowledge of what investing is and what they're investing in. Um, but to go over it quickly, that's how it is. It's a quick process of just going to our website and or app and answering a few questions and you can invest just like that, a minimum of $1,000. Um, but we also have different oh. funds, I will say, where you know those who may have 100000 a million plus, Fahim and I, we do different projects with different investors. So it is scales, but we didn't want to leave, um, you know, the, the everyday person who wants to invest out. I love that. So, yeah, $1,000, that's really affordable. I was thinking the minimum would be like, I don't know, like 10000 or something. Yeah, we did that. We was very intentional on making sure. And, and like we mentioned earlier, like uh, we did that for the people because for us mm -hmm. it's a it, it's a it's a lot of work you know it's a lot of uh yeah tax returns we got to send out i mean it, it ends up being like it's really a service you know but that's what fahim and i were intentional to make sure we give everyone an opportunity to learn investing and it just uh and to be a part of a network too oasis is a family once you're in our network um we have upcoming things that we'll be putting on such as advance uh to meet other people who are interested in investing, to meet those who have the same mindset as as uh, as us. So uh, it's it's a pretty good stuff we have coming out, you know, soon. Yeah, in the works. That's exciting. I love that. Um, I was gonna ask about like different financial literacy like courses or lessons that you want to teach investors. You said that's in the works too, as well. Yeah. That's uh, as Fahim and I, as we learn, because we speak, as I mentioned, we're speaking to our investors and just being in this business, we're seeing that there is a major gap. And so we have discussed, uh, you know, those who invest, we want to make sure we give them uh, some type of curriculum that we're actually in the process of creating this curriculum. So, you know, uh, when you do invest, you're leaving with a certain level of knowledge, of confidence that could not only help you working with us, but just help you in your life moving forward. Cause that's what our community needs. We just need a, you know, uh, we just have a lack of knowledge and we just gotta, mm -hmm. gotta continue to fill those gaps in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fa, you wanted to say something? Yeah, no, I was just, just to, to tie into what Michael was saying. I think one of the biggest things that I think I would like people in our community to know is that, um, investing is not guaranteed, you know, mm -hmm. and, Anyone that comes at you or comes to you and, you know, trying to guarantee something, I mean, essentially it's illegal because you can't, you can't, you can't make that type yeah. of a promise in exchange for people's money. But I feel like that's very important for people to know. I mean, you do your responsibility and your investigation or whoever you're investing with and check the track record to see. And then that kind of, that way you can minimize your risk. But there's there's no guarantees because there things are constantly changing, things are constantly evolving, disasters happen, things happen. I mean, we've been very fortunate. We don't, you know, because a lot of a lot of investors that we met with a, a very wealthy guy, and he was telling us like, hey, you know, usually before I invest with people, I like to see their lawsuits. Like, how many times you've been sued? How many times this has oh. happened to you? He said because that's very standard. He said if you work in it, I mean, if you any of them, Trump, all Warren Buffett, like none of them have not been sued when you start dealing with right. hundreds of millions. We've been blessed to have not been sued. Like, hey, we actually haven't been sued. He was like, well, you, you haven't done enough business yet. You know, <laughs> so he was kind of laughing. Um, but but in all in all reality, we've been blessed in the sense that we've been able to, you know, handle uh, all of the responsibilities and commitments that we've made. But nevertheless, I think it's still important for people to have very clear expectations going into it. You know what I mean? That money could, can be lost. That's a reality. You know what I mean? And, uh, I feel like that's one of the things that we're finding as people come into this is like, well, so-and-so said, I heard uh, Jay-Z talk about this. He said, you know, your cousin who tells you, give me 5,000 and I'm going to give you 100,000. He did that in the Kevin Hart interview. And it's like, yeah. Bro, that's not that's not realistic. You know what I'm saying? And I often find myself telling my family members and people come to them with these opportunities. And it's like, hey, you know, uh, the way investing works um, is risk reward, right? So the higher the risk, the higher the reward. So if somebody is mm -hmm. giving you a 10% return on your money, that's a fairly relative risk. And it goes lower from there. So like when you put your money in a bank, it's like a 0.0-something percent return on your money. It's very low because there's yeah. relatively no risk. Because what you put in there, 
you expect to be able to go and get it out, right? Um, mm-hmm. When you start getting into the investment funds, it, it, it creeps up. Like Buffett and them is like 8%, 7%. Uh, because there's a little bit more risk because technically your money can get lost and as it, it goes higher and higher but like when people start coming to you with something that sounds too good to be true i just think a good rule of thumb is to more than likely it is you know what i mean and yeah. you're about to take a loss if you if you gamble on that so that's something for us that we know going into deals with people um and it's something that we communicate uh with investors that want to work with us just so that just there's clear expectations and understanding and if nothing even if you don't work with us you have clear expectations as you go out into this field because, as Michael said, there is a lot of people that take advantage um, of our desire to become financially free, you know, and that, we, we've seen that happen time and time again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you read my mind. I was actually going to ask for my next question, like, what are some things that investors should be prepared for when they are, you know, putting their money to things that they hope would make the money? Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right, so that's definitely one of the things. Would there be a couple yeah. more things that they should be? Yeah, you know, Flame and I was just talking about how it's very easy to scam people in real estate, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, we be you. You can go on social media and people will be standing in front of a house like I own this property, and it, and it's like, do you really own the property? More yeah. than likely, you don't. You know, they they can yeah. say I own a thousand units, and it's easy to just fabricate um, when it comes to real estate. So, you know, um, what we would recommend for every investor <laughs> is to uh, do your research um, mm-hmm. as 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 uh, thorough as possible you know uh the person who you are investing what is their track record you know where is their portfolio and can you can they prove it's their portfolio um and this so it's always easier to deal with someone who has a proven uh track record you know have has someone invested have they got Mm -hmm. a return you know and that's how fahim and i started um and that's why we know this is the long game you know we even know with this first fund uh we don't expect to get 50 million people you know we feel like whatever we get let's just crush it let's just kill it let's get the returns and let it build from there um because that's how we did it with just one or two or three people and then the word spread you know with family mm-hmm. and the word spread uh so a lot of times with investors you kind of got to deal with someone who has a track record other than that you're kind of investing in the person and you have to be yeah. okay. some people invested in us when we didn't have a track record, they was like, you know, I know your character. Some people knew us. And they was like, when we first got into real estate, we did have some people, once we kind of proved it to ourselves, um, but before we took on investment, we had, you have to have your first investor. So we had yeah. our first investors, but they invested in us as a person, uh, as people, and it paid off. So sometimes you see a social media personality, you got to know it's a good chance you're investing in that person. Do you know that person? You know, have you met this person? You know, do you know their family? Do they know their friend? You know, and for the most part, times we don't. It's just somebody with a nice outfit, maybe in a nice car or talking on a jet. That's probably a studio set and we're (laughs) investing, you know? So it's really, that would be the best advice until technology advances where you can kind of prove a little. And Fahim and I had discussions on how can we help expedite that, um, because it does affect our business when you have so many people just talking and lying and lawsuits and this. And it's just like, yeah. you know, those who are being honest, you know, we welcome it because of because of, you know, how we operate. Uh, but we do want to help expedite that process of verifying. Uh, but to just answer your question, I would say, you know, you got to really do your research. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So what would you, oh, before I even ask that question, um, do you guys have a program at Oasis where renters can actually become owners of the places that they rent as well? Or is that something that's also in the works? Have you thought about things like that too? Definitely, definitely. We haven't activated it yet, um, but we do already have it in the pipeline for us. We have we have we have a couple of really innovative things. I won't go like deep into them, um, but 
the, the look, the goal is to create more homeowners. You know what I mean? Like the thing, the reason, a part of the reason why we had to get into it and raising funds became so attractive is because, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but like, so hedge funds are buying up as much of the single family homes as they can in America. There's some people are saying by 2050, your average person won't be able to buy a home because there will be no homes available. There'll be zero inventory because they're, they're accumulating yeah. it all. And that's because one, it's a good business model. They realize that um, two, there, there's a gap being created between haves and have nots. And I think at that point, uh, when they can, these large funds, I'm talking about like BlackRock, like the funds with trillions of dollars, they've invested tens of billions and hundreds of billions into just buying up all of the real estate in America. So our thought was like, look, if we can control a percentage of the inventory, then we'll be in position to create more black homeowners. So we have mm-hmm. some really in- innovative uh, ways that we plan to do that. We can't fully let it out yet, uh, but we're going to be doing some great things. Like we're going to, I'll give you a little piece of one of them. Uh, we have a, a, a program where, uh, because we have our own construction uh, co- company and, you know, we're building up the partnership with different construction companies. No. We're, yeah. we're going to be building um, houses from the ground up, but those houses will allow Section 8 tenants to come in and we'll apply a portion of their voucher towards ownership of the home. So these are people that essentially ah. like won't have any credit or won't have any money for a down payment. But what we'll be able to do is take the fact that we were able to build the house at an affordable rate and use a portion of the money from their voucher over time as their down payment, essentially, and then sell it to them without involving a bank, uh, involving a bank. So yeah. like things like things like this, we, we believe, uh, you know, years down the line, we'll be able to create 50 million or more in new um, wealth for people in our communities. You know, and we kind of we work those numbers out. I don't have them in front of me. But we had a, a goal of being able to create 50 million in annual wealth for black people that are on Section 8, not like wow. black people that would have that would have bought a house. I could choose where they want to buy. It. No, these are black people that wouldn't have owned a home. And so our yeah. only uh, stipulation and condition is that you don't sell it. You know, you keep these homes uh-huh. and you pass these homes down to your children. So we we've been working on some really, really dope, just out the box type stuff. You know what I mean? And like that's why I say it's not truly capitalistic, because. Capitalism is like we build it super cheap. We sell it for as much as we can get. Whereas like this model, we still have to make a profit because we have investors, but it's much more creative in that it will allow people who wouldn't uh, typically be able to purchase to purchase. I love that. That's really innovative. That's really cool. So for someone who wants to invest, what type of um, residents would you say they should go after? Should they do single families? Should they do multi-units, commercial? What do you yeah. think? I think it depends on how involved you want to be. So, like, if you plan to get into real estate and, like, yo, I'm in it, I'm ready to get my hands dirty, I I would say buy, like, a three, four unit that you live in one. You know what I mean? Because then... You can be involved in the management, collecting the money, the maintenance, the calls that you're going to get. Like that is a business in and of itself, which a lot of people don't talk about when they tell you to invest mm-hmm. in real estate. Like managing these tenants is like a business. You know what I mean? That's yeah. why they have property <laughs> management companies and they charge you 8%, 10%, 12%, depending on which company you go with. So if you really have the time to be hands-on, I would say get in like that. If you don't have the time to be hands-on, you have two options. See, like the, and this also depends on how much money you have. So, like, if you got ten thousand, you probably, depending on what market you in, can you probably can't can't you probably need to get in a syndication, like a deal, like something like what we're offering or someone else is offering, where you could come in and make fifteen, twenty percent maybe on your money. Um, if you have fifty, fifty to sixty thousand to invest, you can buy a single family home. You know what I mean, and the thing I like about single families, and that's where we started at, is is is, is much less management. And so, like from mm-hmm. a tenant perspective, if I live in a home, I'm looking at it like my home. You know what I mean. So if a window break or this, I'm probably just get it done. And you can, we can agree ahead of time. Hey, you'll take care of landscaping. You'll take care of this. So most of the issues that arise when you're in a home that you're renting, you don't think to immediately call your landlord. You just take care of it because you're looking at it like, hey, this is my house. If yeah. I, that changes drastically 
for a two, three, four unit. When you're in a two unit, people don't look at it the same. So now it's like, hey, the toilet is clogged. I'm calling the property manager. Or I'm calling yeah. the landlord. So it, that those are that's the difference. Like, so I would start with like understanding how much money they have to invest because that's going to dictate which direction they could go. But then how involved they want to be. If you want to be really involved, get you a building because over time, you know, all look, look at it like this, right? In 30 years, that which is you know pretty much your standard loan, all these are paid off. So. I'm 36, right? So at 66, if I buy a four unit this year, um, I'm sorry, 36, if I buy a four unit this year, at 66, it's paid off. A four unit at this time, on average, in LA is 1.2 million, right? So essentially, I have a $1.2 million asset that I can leverage. I was just giving this to one of my guys that works with me. And he was talking about 401ks and said, I was like, you know, 401ks are good, but buy real estate. Take the money, like even if you can only afford to buy one house every three years on an FHA program, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, and I, there's ways that you can, like with FHA, you hit required to live in it for a certain amount of time because it's technically a first-time homebuyer's program. But, like, you can do those multiple times. And, I, and I'm speaking from experience. As long as you live in that as your primary residence for the amount of time that you have to, then you're able to do it again. So now you're talking about only coming out of pocket 3%. You can do those up to four-unit buildings. So... I would say like every few years, try to buy a home because that is a much better retirement plan than a 401k. I don't know if you saw like all of the guys yeah. from Yellow Trucking. Yellow Trucking is one of the largest trucking companies in America. It just recently went under. And when it went under, everybody's 401ks went under with it. So you had guys like everyone on social media, like I've worked here for 30 years. Oh, this no. is everything that I have. And now I have nothing. And because y'all made bad decisions at the top. So like, I, wow. I reiterate this to people like a 401k is good, but you can't, it's, I wouldn't put a hundred percent trust in that. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you just never know what's happening with that money. You know what I mean? Um, and you can get into other things. You got like self-directed IRAs and you got other things that are a little more flexible and, and uh, may make a little bit more sense depending on where you are financially. But in my opinion, there's nothing better than real estate because if you manage it properly, after you make that initial down payment, the tenant is paying it off. So those 30 years of that mortgage, someone else paid that for you. All you did was put the money down to get into it. So if you're able to do that every three years for 30 years, that's 10 houses. If each house is worth yeah. 400000 400, well, now you're talking about you got $4 million. Let's say like Chicago, each property is worth two seventy-five. You're almost $3 million in, in debt-free assets. Now that's your retirement. And you did that yeah. with very minimal, you know what I'm saying? Like a 3%... And I'm gonna just give you a little bit more number. I, you know, like Michael said, I like numbers, so I could do this. No, all I love day. it. No, <laughs> right. you know what's funny? So, like I was in math honors in high school, so I love these numbers. So crazy. <laughs> okay, so look, all right, so look, your average single family home that's like decent condition out in Chicago, let's say it's two hundred thousand, right? Three mm-hmm. percent on a two hundred thousand dollar home is six thousand. Yeah, if you could save, you know, plus your closing costs and et cetera, et cetera. Let's say we're at ten. If you can save ten thousand every three years, you can buy a single family home in a market like that. Let's say it's a five percent conventional loan. Make it twelve thousand. You can do that in a market like that every three years for as long as you're working. And at the end of your career now, you can have and then look, there's other things too. Now like you you know, you have ways to accelerate paying off your mortgage. So let's yeah. say your mortgage is fifteen hundred dollars a month. If you can put an extra $200 principal only payment, you can cut seven years off of your mortgage. And it's things like that that I feel like we don't know about. Even let's say your mortgage is $3,000 a month. And these are all things I do, like, by the way, these are all things that like we have in our business practice. Your, you know, your mortgage is compound interest, right? Mm-hmm. If you pay your payments bi-weekly versus monthly, you usually save about five years on your loan. So like a 30-year mortgage becomes a 25-year mortgage. You're paying the huh. same amount monthly but what's happening is you're knocking down your principal. So they're determining your interest based on uh, your principal, right? So if yeah. my principal was 400000 this month, but it's 399750 next month, well, that means that I'm paying less towards the interest because I've knocked down more of the principal. So biweekly payments, if you got an extra, I had a boy who told me this like 10 years ago. It was like every year, I just put an extra 10000 on my mortgage. 
you just do the math. You know, he got a million dollar house. He does, but he's saved himself almost 16 years on his mortgage by every year putting lump sums, principal only payments. So mm -hmm. yeah, I look at like, we love to look at real estate as like the long game. Cause when you look at mm -hmm. it like that and you're not just, so you have to be concerned with your profitability and that's just running any business. You have to have your quarterly numbers, your annual numbers. You have to look at your bottom line every year. You can't operating any business if you're standing in, in, in the, the red or you're always negative. Um, but mm -hmm. I would say like, look at it like, okay, what will this look like 30 years from now? What will it look like for my children? We always teaching generational wealth principles. This is a real one. Like this is how you really do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. You talked about like 401ks. Cause I was just having this conversation like two, three days ago with a lender. And so I'm also looking to buy. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. I like either a three or four unit building here in L.A. to rent out. And he was like, um, so what about your 401k? And I'm like, well, I don't want to touch it. But he was like, well, I mean, it's going towards real estate, basically everything you're saying right now. So I was like, oh, OK, I didn't really think about it like that. But that makes perfect sense. Right. Because yeah, it's just I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I've done it. I, I, I'll say I've done it. You know. When I needed to, I've done it and I'll pay it back. I'll refine it. You know, you get, you got to get creative. And that's one of the ways that you can be your own bank is having a 401k that you can access. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a little jewel for LA. Try to be in an unincorporated area, especially if you want to do, because the unincorporated areas have a lot more flexibility with like Airbnb. And What's that? Just unincorporated. Whatever. So like, so like unincorporated is basically a section of, and it's like, there's, you can just Google it, like Google Los Angeles County unincorporated areas, and it's going to show you all of these little sections where I guess they haven't organized themselves as a body to be recognized. So, like, there'll be, like, little patches. Like, there's a little patch right east of downtown L.A. There's a little patch, like, in the middle of South L.A. There's a little patch right by Gardena where they're unincorporated, you know what I mean? And unincorporated areas, um, there's just a lot less regulation. So, like... When the city of Linwood or the city of Compton or the city of so-and-so says, hey, we can have Airbnbs, but you have to follow these restrictions, those unincorporated areas don't get affected by those restrictions. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a, that's, that's one thing to look at. And I feel like a lot of people don't even like know about that or talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that, that could help you. It depends on your strategy. Like if you just, you just want to rent and, you know, you just find something that's a good deal, that's fine. You know what I mean? But like, some people may want to do a daycare. Some people may want to do a, you know, and that's when some of those restrictions and regulations may come uh, or become more difficult for you. Right. Okay. Thank you. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even know unincorporated, like what that was. So that's dope. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your new show on the Earn Your Leisure Network. How did that come about? We've been, you know, uh, following you know, Rashad and Troy and the EYL team, you know, for years, you know, we just, uh, we just love how, you know, what they represent, what they do. We believe our mission aligns. So when uh, we started kind of documenting our process, you know, it was, uh, uh, Dion was actually part of that too. Dion was like really helping us as we started shooting our content. Cause he was like, man, what y'all doing dope. It's like a standing podcast, outside podcast, uh, you know, we should document more of it. So, you know, Fahim and I, we just started doing what we do and we just started kind of taping it, you know, because uh, we are really, you know, uh, outside. We're in the communities. We look at the properties we buy. We just don't buy on a computer. We go. Um, and so it just kind of 
evolved and we just shot more and more. Uh, we did a lot of traveling. Um, and then at a certain point, when it came to distribution, it just made sense because we had came across yeah. uh, EYL. Uh, they, they came to one of our events last December. Uh, we go to their events. Uh, we see them in passing just in, you know, all the time. But so when this came up as far as the show ready to be distributed, uh, we reached out to them. Uh, and they love the they love the idea. They love the concept. And it's been a, a great partnership so far. You know, just uh, the support they, they give. Uh, you know, the platform they built is a perfect platform for us as far as just, uh, you know, usually black and brown people in the financial space. Although it's not mm -hmm. limited to that, uh, that is a big portion of their audience. And that's, you know, uh, the audience that we ide ideally would like to, uh, to market to. So it's just a great, great partnership, solid brothers. And it's so far, it's just been working out great. That's really cool. So where do you see Oasis, like, let's say in the next five to 10 years? What's your vision for your company? Ooh, big. Yeah, we are going to create communities in the middle of what they call the hood, where Black children can walk to school and not be bothered. And that that's like the short of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you will you will feel comfortable living there. You will know that your children can walk outside, whether you're with them or not, and they're gonna make it to school fine. And that's like I could go way bigger, but that's what essentially like that's the mental picture that we want people to understand and what we're targeting. We we're we wanna create and make our communities a safe and decent place to live. And not just in Chicago, that's just the starting place all around the country. So I think five years you'll see Oasis in multiple markets creating these type of communities, um, major ones, the LA, uh, Atlanta, Chicago, uh, New York. And we've already like picked specific places in those cities that we want to target. And I think by 10 years, you'll see us entering the smaller markets, like the more niche markets and just doing mm -hmm. the same formula. You know what I mean? And, and um, you know, that that's where we see us going. Yeah. Do you feel like a lot of Fine, weight on your shoulders? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys feel like a lot of weight on your shoulders or like a big responsibility since this is something you really want to push for the black community? Can it get overwhelming at all or you just go for it? Um, I think I don't look at life like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, every day is pressure. You know? And if, if yeah. it wasn't pressure in this sense, it would be something else. So it's kind of like, I, I, I said this to my brother, like if I didn't get out the bed, and I just laid in the bed so that I could avoid stress and avoid headaches. Ultimately I would develop bed sores. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my body would react in a way that creates a complication for me because I'm not meant to do that. So for mm -hmm. me, it's like, you can't avoid this. You know what I'm saying? You can't avoid like the struggle and the pressure and the, so I just have embraced it and like it's become such a part of the daily reality. Um, it's almost like it's no pressure. It's a gang of pressure. You know what I'm saying? But it's like <laughs> it's such a lifestyle that it's like it's not it's not it's not bothersome, if that makes sense. You know, what I mean, I don't mean we don't have difficult days uh, where we have to make difficult decisions or we have to do challenging things. But like the the mission is so much bigger and the desire to get there is so much deeper that um, I don't think the stress is a is a is an issue at all for us, and and I think our our past experience have uh, you know we both come from high, uh, high level high extreme careers where we're kind of like bred and prepared for this because I I can see how looking from the outside it is like man that is a lot and it is for us to take somebody's money that's a big deal. They're taking mm -hmm. thousands of people's money when people <laughs> have been known to like fail or go to jail or all this. So yeah. if you step out and look at it, it's like, damn, this is extreme. But I think Fahim and I have been prepared for this. You know, we're both kind of extremists. You know what I'm saying? Like this is like uh, we don't our passion for living is doing something. I don't think any of us I don't think Fahim and I would be happy if we just made a few million and went and retired somewhere. We can't really live like that. Like our whole uh, genetic DNA is designed to 
help our help people. So it's kind of like we have no other choice, which helps us do this. It's kind of like we have to do this. We have nothing else to do but to do this. So that mindset yeah. keeps us going. And uh, and keep it real, we, we just we just don't think about it. We just keep working because if we stopped and thought about all this stuff that we are dealing with, we might go crazy. But yeah, we just keep going, just keep going, and then uh, and then having faith, and then being tapped in spiritually, you know. Uh, believing in a higher power, believing in a God, that is what grounds us. And we know it's bigger than us. We know it's not about us. You know, we just try to look at ourselves as servants to our community. And then that helps us, gives us the strength to keep going. Love that. Okay, cool. So two more questions. So if someone who wanted to jump into real estate, a Black person, they did want to do that, but they were intimidated because it seems like a lot or it seems very, you know, white heavy. What advice would you give them to take the leap? I would say educate yourself first. There's plenty of education online. You know, you could pay for a course, but I would recommend just read um, and just you really can learn enough. I don't think, you know, when we jumped into this, Fahim took the lead. I don't think he took a course or, you know, paid someone to teach him. You know, uh, the, the education is out there, but I would say one, educate yourself on what you're doing. Just as he said, what market are you going to? What kind of property do you want to get? And then the more educated you are, the fear comes down a little bit. That's the first mm-hmm. step. And the other advice I would give, if possible, pull your resources. You know, you don't have to do it alone. If, if you have two or three friends who all of you can go uh, 10,000 each. It's not you doing the whole, taking on the whole responsibility. Um, and you know, unity is a secret to Fahim and I's success. You know, we have each other. Um, and you know, if I don't know it, he knows it. If he doesn't know it, I know it. If he's busy, I can do it, you know, and, and that's kind of what also helps. So I would recommend that for people do your research. And then if you don't have to, don't do it alone. Cool. So then my last question to both of you would be, what is your definition of a true real estate boss? Fahim's going to say himself. So before he says that, <laughs> I know you were thinking about it. I was thinking, yeah, like I was thinking how, do, how do I save me? How do I save me? <laughs> how do I save me humbly? No. <laughs> you know, I would say a true real estate boss is someone who is making their community a beautiful and decent place to live. Because there's plenty of real estate, quote unquote, people with thousands of units, but they're slumlords, you know? We walk mm-hmm. in these communities and the owners ain't even there. So those are some real estate people, but I wouldn't consider them a boss. They're just people yeah. taking up space and hurting our community. So I would say a real estate boss is someone who's using the power of real estate to organize and make their community better to make it decent, to make it beautiful, to make it safe. Um, to me, in my definition, that would be a boss. And that's what I, I aim. And uh, Fahim and I, our group, we aim to be real real estate bosses where there isn't a liquor store in every corner. There's a school. There's a hospital, you know, uh, a decent, nice hospital, you know. Um, and that's what we have the power to do. And I, I would say that's what a boss would do. And it, w- it would make it a beautiful, a beautiful community that they own. Mm-hmm. I agree with Michael. And the only thing I add is that um, also a real estate boss is going to make other people owners. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. he's not just buying and trying to do it for himself. Like, you know, me and Michael, we haven't really, really announced it yet. But like the 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 first group of young men that came and worked for us just got their own house. You know what I mean? Through the Oh, knowledge wow. and skills that they've learned from working with us and um you know we we of course helped them and all of that all the way through the way but these is five young black men under the age of 22 you know what i mean that own a piece of property and so i think that's uh that's a crucial piece like i don't know i think it was jay-z who said this too but it's like you can't be a boss in your team bro you know what i'm saying it's like yeah. a real boss is going to elevate uh those around them and make them put them in positions of power and not just try to be the only one flexing and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a misconception of what a boss is. So I, I would say a true boss is going to elevate those around them. And you'll know that because you'll see the people around them also happy and successful. And I think that's a real boss activity, like, you know, in my opinion. 
Okay, thanks, guys. I really had a fun talking to you. I learned a lot. <laughs> Thank well, you. We appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Isha. Thank, Thank you sure. for inviting us. Thank you for supporting us. Um, and we'll I, send you some Aisha. Aisha. Yeah, she be serving, Aisha. bro. I, I made that mistake like four times. I, I renamed her in my phone because I said, I can't do this again. Oh, Aisha. Yeah. Aisha. Yeah. Aisha. It's like, yeah, like Aisha without the E sound. So Aisha. Oh, that's beautiful. Aisha. Aisha. That's dope. Yeah. All right. Okay, Pre- appreciate you for having us on. No problem. Thanks for coming. All right. Talk all right. soon. All right. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making the Boss. Trust me, there's a lot more where that came from, so be sure to keep it locked for other shows coming soon. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter and IG at Aisha Thorpe. Talk soon, my bosses and bosses in the making. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.